Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca. Today's scripture comes from 1 Corinthians 15.35-41. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel. Perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heaven is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For star differs from star in glory. You may be seated. As you see, let me pray for us. Father, we come now needy, Lord, hungry and desperate to hear from the God who created all things. The God who knows us intimately and knows how to speak to us so that our lives would be changed. And so we just ask you now, Lord Jesus, would you speak to us, change us, transform us, make us more like your son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Great to be gathered with you this morning. If you haven't already had a chance to grab your Bible, please uh, do so. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, 15 verse 35 to 41 is where we're going to be this morning. We have been in the book of 1 Corinthians for the past year and a half now. We've taken a few breaks over summer and Christmas, but we've systematically been going through this book verse by verse. And last week, Heath unpacked this passage that we just already heard read this morning. He actually unpacked verse 35 to 49, and what he spoke about is that there is this transformation that comes for those who are in Christ. For those who have put their faith in Jesus, there's this change that occurs. This change is both future, so that there is something coming. There's this future resurrection. But what I think Heath so brilliantly highlighted is that this change occurs even now. There's a spiritual transformation that occurs in our life. Verse 44 puts it this way. It says, it is sown a natural body. That is what we once were. But it is now raised a spiritual body. Not meaning that we are spirits and that we're a ghost, but that we are empowered by the spirit. Just as a gas car isn't made out of gas, it is empowered by gas. In the, in the same way, we are spiritual bodies empowered by the Spirit who is living in us. This morning, I want us to look at the same text, 
I'm going to narrow down in verses 35 to 41. And what I specifically want us to look at is the physicality of our bodies. That, that we are flesh and, and bone. Today, there are a number of issues at the front lines of our culture. At, in the headlines of, of newspapers. And normally, um, we deal with these one at a time. Transgenderism, homosexuality, abortion, euthanasia, and MAID. Strap yourselves in. Um, We normally deal with each of those one at a time. However, I actually believe that there is some underlying foundation to all of those issues in our society. There's some common theme that runs through each of those questions that we've been forced to wrestle with and and figure out and find out where we stand. And I believe that underlying thread is the body. The body. How we view those issues depends largely on how we view the body. It is no coincidence that chapter 15, the, the resurrection chapter, the, this chapter that deals with our future bodies, is the climax of this letter. Paul has been gradually building up to chapter 15. He, he's laying upon layer, layer and layer argument, and now he gets to chapter 15, which is this climax, is going to pull it all together. Chapter 15 is in many ways the keystone of this entire book, right? You know what a keystone is, right? So you build an arch from from both ends, and at the center, that center stone is the keystone. If you remove that one stone, the whole structure crumbles. In the same way, if you mistake, if, if we misunderstand our body, the nature of our being as embodied creatures, all of Paul's argument on how we should live, who we are, who God is, completely falls apart. So my aim this morning is to help us see the proper dignity and value of our human body. I have two points this morning. First, our body is not nothing. It's not the greatest English, but you'll get it in a second. Our body is not nothing. And secondly, our body is not everything. Firstly, our body is not nothing. Look at verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? These questions are the same. They're just different ways of phrasing the same question, which is, what type of body are we going to have? Okay, we're going to be resurrected. What type of body are we going to have? And and look at Paul's response. He says in verse 36, you foolish person. Now, that is a very strong answer if this was a sincere question, but it's not. This question, what type of body are we going to have at the resurrection, is not a question made out of sincerity or genuine interest. It's actually these individuals mocking this idea. This was a a joke to them. 
This was them sarcastically laughing at the idea that we would be resurrected physical beings. You see, there was this pervasive idea in the first century, um, which was called Gnosticism. Please don't tune out. I know you heard philosophy, first century, that has nothing to do with me. Please listen. This applies very much to us today. The idea of Gnosticism is that the body and the self are two separate identities. The body and the self are separate identities. Gnostic cosmology said that there were multiple levels of spiritual beings. There's this hierarchy of the gods. And it was the lowest level god, which is actually a evil sub-deity that created the world. And therefore, matter, the material world, that which we touch and see, is actually evil. No self-respecting god, they believed, would actually get their hands dirty and meddle in the muck of matter. And so there was a pun at the time. Soma Sima. Soma meaning body, Sima meaning tomb. Our bodies are a tomb, they thought. And the idea and the the hope of salvation was to free yourself from that tomb. Your, Your body was a prison and salvation means you got out. And Paul says, that's foolish. You foolish person. That that doesn't accord with reality, Paul says. He says this, verse 38. But God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. Verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. Paul here is retracing the steps of creation. He's going backwards. He's rewinding the order in which God created the world. He said, look, God God created lots of different kinds of fish. God's created lots of different kinds of crawling creatures, walking creatures. He created lots of different kinds of birds in the sky. And finally, the pinnacle of creation is humanity. He says this, Genesis 2-7, this is the creation account. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. You can just leave that uh, scripture on the screen behind me for a second. Notice a few things. There's actually another pun in this section. Uh, In Hebrew, we get the words Adam for man or humanity and Adama for ground. It's not body and tomb, it's man and earth. Notice, secondly, how Adam is made. God here, the order is very interesting here. God does not first make a soul and then scrounge around looking for something to put that soul into. You you notice that? Adam doesn't exist apart from his body. 
God actually first creates matter. He creates the form, and then he breathes life into that being. One theologian puts it this way. He says, according to the Bible, someone is an animated body, not an incarnated soul. We are animated bodies, not incarnated souls. Carl Truman, he says this. There is no I behind or before the body. There is no us that exists independently of our flesh and that is then randomly assigned to the bodies we have. Our bodies are an integral part of who we are. And I do not occupy my body as I might occupy a house or a spacesuit or a deck chair at the beach. On the contrary, it is an, an integral part of me inseparable from who I am. We are embodied creatures. God makes this thing on day one, he says it's good. God makes this thing on day two and says it's good. He makes this and says it's good. He makes this and says it's good. It's good, it's good, it's good. Five times it's good. And then he creates humanity and he says, this is very good because this is now made in my image. You have dignity and worth because your body has dignity and worth. Today, as I said earlier, this Gnostic worldview persists. I actually believe it's the dominant view in our world. This, this separation of person and mind, or person and mind, sorry, and body and physical. Person and body. It's the body which has very little value in our society and the mind or the person which has great value and meaning. Hence, abortion, euthanasia, and transgenderism. Here, here we go. Previously, we believed um, that the unborn child was not human. Uh, previously, it was scientifically held that the unborn child was just a potential life, a, a, a clump of cells and tissues. Today, that argument is changed. T today, uh, due to medical advances in genetics and medical imagery, uh, we accept that the preborn baby is human. Almost all bioethicists agree life begins at conception. And yet, we do not believe that unborn child is worthy of protection. Our society believes, please hear this, that being human is not enough. Being human, which they say that is, is not mean it is worthy of dignity and respect. Those who are worth dignity and respect are persons, and persons are not automatically humans, or humans are not automatically persons. See, personhood theory says this, this is our culture's theory, that you need to have a certain level of self-awareness, there needs to be a certain level of cognitive function and autonomy to truly be a person. Nancy Piercy, she puts it this way. Her book called Love Thy Body is awesome. You should buy it and read it. She says this, in the two-story worldview, 
person, body, simply being a member of the human race is not enough to qualify for personhood. Therefore, the baby in the womb has to earn their status as a person. They have to earn their way into becoming a protected individual of society. Now, compare that with Christianity, which says all humans are persons. We are integrated, psychophysical beings who have inherent worth. Now, that same logic applies to euthanasia. We've just carried the same logic forward, right? So, so listen again to Peter Singer. He's a Princeton ethicist. He's one of the leading ethicists in the world. He says this, The life of a human organism, he puts that in italics, begins at conception. But the life of a person, a being with some level of self-awareness, does not begin so early. And so what he goes on to say is basically to care for human beings simply because they're human is what he calls speciesism. Speciesism. It's, it's the equivalent of racism in his mind, and it is a form of prejudice. Again, you have to reach a certain point of cognition, of self-awareness, of ability, able, of ability to plan for your future, and if you don't have that, then your personhood goes away. We've then carried that to people at the end of their lives. If you lose a certain level of autonomy, cognition, self-awareness, your personhood goes away. And you are no longer a valued member of society. Instead, you become a resource. Your body becomes something that can be harvested for others who are still persons. And so there comes a point where you no longer deserve to live. Or where it is actually beneficial to kill you off or to help you do so. Contrast this again to what Jesus says. In the book of John, we encounter Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. This is his dear friend who has passed away. And he gets there and he weeps because he is sad. Because he's sorrow and broken over his dear friend who has died and has been in a tomb for three days now. But then it also says this in John 11.33. It says that Jesus was deeply moved. I think sometimes we read those words and go, wow, that shows really how sad he was. Actually, those words, deeply moved, does not display a level of sadness, but rather a level of anger and frustration. If we translate those words deeply moved literally, it means snorting with rage. It's what a horse does before going into battle. Jesus is furious. Death has entered into the world, and it's not supposed to be this way. Death is not supposed to be what God has designed this world to be. And so he's furious. Death is not right. We should not accept or welcome death. We should fight for life. We declare a dignity of all humans from conception all to the way to the end when they take their last breath. One more example of this person-body divide. Camille Paglia, she's a famous American critic. She says this, Fate, 
Not God has given us this flesh. Therefore, she goes on to say, we have absolute claim to our bodies and may do with them as we see fit. Because chance and random mutation made us, she says, then the body is really just a utilitarian tool. It just serves a function. The body just carries around what is really significant in your life. And so transgender people, not always, but sometimes will claim they are trapped in the wrong body. That the external does not match the internal. And therefore, they seek to overcome and free themselves from their physical constraints. The body is wrong in this case or irrelevant, and we should be free to do with it as we see fit. Now, please hear this. There are certain aspects of the transgender movement I believe are right and good. They are claiming, for example, that there is an importance of our identity. They are trying to say that we have worth. The difference is this. Whereas they say worth and meaning exist in spite of who we are, God says we have worth and meaning because of who we are. It's not a worthiness in spite of who you are. It's a worthiness precisely because of who you are. You see, all of you has worth, the Bible says. Body and mind. And you don't have to earn meaning and value then. There's nothing you need to change in order to be declared significant or of value. You have dignity and worth because God made you human. Because you are made in his image. Listen to how Psalm 139 puts it beautifully. For you, David says, for you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. Then hear this. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. David says this after the entrance of sin and brokenness into this world. And yet he still says, God, you fearfully made me. What a fascinating word to use to describe how God makes us. With fear. It's, it's like God is, is forming you and knitting you. And he's so careful with how he's going to put you together. Right? There, there's, this, there's this fear and, and trepidation and, the, and this caution and, and specificity in how he's going to bring you about. Because he's saying there's a purpose to your life. He has a plan for you. And so he's going to fearfully make you to fit and, and live out that plan in your life. Oliver Donovan, he puts it this way. He says, Christians should confess their faith in the natural order as a good creation of God. We should cherish nature. Awe must defer to its imminent laws. And we must plan our activities in cooperation with them. The way we live and conduct ourselves should be based off of how we have been made, he's saying. On who God has fearfully created us to be. Our bodies are good. They are made with a purpose. We should cherish the way God has made us and live out and serve God in accordance with the way he has made us. 
Practically, then, okay? What does this mean? Practically, you should care for your bodies, right? You should care for your bodies, right? So we have spiritual disciplines. These are right and good. We talk about these often, reading the Bible, praying, solace and silence, right? Meditation, the, uh, reflecting on God, worshiping with the gathered church. These are spiritual disciplines that are right and good. Equally as important is physical disciplines. Physical dif- disciplines are, are important. Um, th- this past week, um, I approached, actually this is a couple of weeks ago, I approached my wife and I was just, she asked me how I was doing. I was like, I'm antsy right now. And I feel impatient and frustrated. And I just, I don't know why I'm feeling this way. It's not right. I'm just, I'm just, I just, I'm on edge. And she goes very, she's just super helpful. She goes, that's because you haven't run around for a while. It's because you've been sitting at your desk eating Miss Vicky's and Huluva dip all week long. That is the best combination, in case you're wondering. And that's not good for your body. That's not, good. That's not good for you. And part of me is frustrated at that, right? Like, I should be better than that, right? This, it almost feels like unspiritual, right? That I would need to go run around, but it's not. We are integrated wholes, b- body and soul together. Look, modern medicine, doctors today, actually understand this reality to be true. It is an acceptable practice of medicine to pray with your patient if they're open to it. To use faith in your medical practice as a means of caring for your patient because they understand for some reason the two are tied together. The the, the physical and your spiritual. I'm not above needing to go run around. Right? So, Exercise. Practically, exercise. Go for a walk or run. Play a sport. Play a godly sport like golf. <laughs> it, it, it will nourish your souls. Men, go to the doctor. Go to the doctor, and when you show up, and they're like, why are you here? You just tell them, my pastor told me I should do this. And there you go. Go, go, go to the doctor. Be careful what you eat, right? Have a kale smoothie for the glory of God. Go to sleep, right? These are, these are physical practices that, that care for us. We are our bodies. We, we cannot exist without them. Care for yourself, right? As a means of actually honoring the Lord. Uh, this past week, um, my something split open my eyebrow. Um, I, I wish I could say I got like in some fight protecting my family or was doing something manly. I just walked into a door jam, okay? Super, super embarrassing. But the moment that happened, my entire day was derailed. I had, I had a whole bunch of meetings lined up that I had planned to be at, and all of a sudden my eye is gushing blood, 
and I can't see properly. I'm like covering it up. How do you even cover it up with a napkin to try to get it to stop bleeding? My wife's like, we got to get this taken care of. I'm like, I don't want to go to the ER and wait for half a day just for them to, to put it together. Finally, I call my dad. He's a doctor. He goes, well, if you don't do it, the scar might be big. The swelling might open it up. Your eye uh, might scar there. Your eyebrows might not grow properly. I'm like, well, I'm going to look ugly then. And <laughs> ended up, ended up going, going to get a fix. They super glue my eye, eyebrows shut. But listen, we are our bodies. You, you cannot function without them. Take care of them. They are a gift from God. And you are not who you are without it. Secondly, then, speaking about feeling ugly, our bodies are not everything. Our body is not everything. Look, look at verse 36 and 37. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. That phrase, I am my body, is correct, but our being our bodies is not all we are. Just as it is possible to get an identity apart from your body, you can fall into the other ditch and get an identity solely from your body. Sam Albury in his book on the body, he says this, we turn one's appearance, which is the most immediate aspect of someone, into the most significant aspect of someone. So we look at someone, it's automatically impossible not to see them. That's what it means to look at someone. But then we turn that first impression into the most important impression. We use their image to declare their value and worth. And what this does for us as a society is it turns our gyms into places of worship. We look to our health to save us, our physique to validate us. Or we sacrifice our time and wallets on the altar of makeup and fashion boutiques, trying to highlight certain features and downplay others. Now, Please hear me. There is nothing wrong with exercising. Again, there is nothing wrong with wearing makeup or liking fashion. I would actually argue in many ways those are good things and forms of art which God commands us to do and enjoy. What is wrong is for us to put our hope in those things. Verse 36 is very honest here. Paul says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Our bodies are good. But Paul's honesty also says our bodies are broken. He, he uses the metaphor of, of a seed here. And that seed, he says, is dying and it is going to go into the ground. The, the entrance of sin into this world causes our bodies to decay and to die and to go into the ground. Your body will fail you. No matter how many kale smoothies you drink, maybe you should drink one once in a while, it will not ultimately save you. 
You will never be able to maintain our culture's physical beauty standards. You won't. Beauty is fleeting. In the Middle Ages, there was this uh, upward tick of what they called in Latin, ars moriendi, or the art of dying. There's a whole bunch of artwork picturing death. And one of these images was a line of people, and at the front of the line was a skeleton. Right behind the skeleton at the front were monarchs and wealthy landowners. At the back of the line, you had the peasants, the lame, the sick. And in the middle, you had tradespeople and lower forms of royalty. Now today, the people in that line may have changed. At the front, we may now have athletes and models. Right behind them, there might be beautiful social influencers. But the point remains, the skeleton is still at the front. And we all will have an appointment with death. Our bodies are dying seeds. Please do not make it your everything. Now, for the majority of us, our bodies are not a source of confidence, however, but a source of shame. We recognize that we do not live up to society's beauty standards. And we wish we looked different. In his book, Till We Have Faces, C.S. Lewis um, speaks of a princess Orwell. This is his last novel he wrote before his death. And he writes of a princess, Orwell. Orwell, when she was younger, was dragged by her hair, by her father, and made to stand in front of a mirror so that she would see just how ugly she was. Uh, When Orwell's father gets remarried, he makes her wear a veil to his wedding so that his welcomed guests would not have to look at her. Reading these sections was hard, Um, partly because I have daughters, and I see the way they look at themselves in the mirror already at the age of six and four, but also because I know what it's like to stand in front of a mirror. Growing up, feeling, not feeling, just being very short and wishing it was different, being skinny and scrawny and seeing myself and knowing I do not live up to what others want me to be, nevertheless what I want myself to be. If it's not, then our body appearance, our body's appearance, it can also be our bodily capabilities. Um, So we recognize, many of you in this room, our bodies do not function as they ought to function. Age is wrecking havoc on your body. It's causing you to deteriorate and become weak. Many of you experience chronic pain. You cannot play and enjoy life as you wish you could. Some of you are going through severe mental illness. 
Many of us take medicine just to get through the day. Please hear this again. That is not the way it is supposed to be. Her world is broken, but it will not always be this way. See, even though verse 36 and 37 contain very honest words about the brokenness of our bodies, they also contain very hopeful words about our bodies. Again, you foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Yes, you are going to die, but there is a new life that springs forth from that seed, Paul says. Verse 38, God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. He goes on to say, verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another kind. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, and then another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars differ from star in glory. Right now, our bodies look like stars or moons. One day, they will look like the sun. And all will be right, and our glory will be restored into all of its brilliance and splendor. Please hear this good news. Romans 8, 22 and 23 says this. Paul writes, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, groaning, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That is good news. God saves the body. (laughs) All of you, all of you is precious to God. Earlier in 1 Corinthians, we read this. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sam Albury, he says this, those words, um, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, said by any other human, those words are horrific. To say that you are not your own, that someone bought you, if any other human said that, that would be awful and horrific. But said by Jesus, It says the exact opposite thing. Because Jesus didn't buy you with coins or dollar bills. He bought you with his own body. The price to save your body was the very body of God's son. The price to restore your body, to redeem your body, was the destruction of Jesus' body. The Bible says the most dignifying thing about flesh It says that God became a man and that God didn't distance himself like some other Gnostic deity from the material world. No, he made matter, he breathed life into matter, and then he actually became matter. Jesus took on human flesh. He was a boy and then he grew. He went through puberty and he matured and then he died in our place. His body was broken beyond the point of recognition. 
He had thorns put into his skull. He had nails driven through his hands and feet. He felt pain. And then he was lifted onto the cross, stripped of his clothes, and hung naked for all to see him. He bearing our shame. And then the God who breathed life into Adam took his last breath and he died. The body of God's own son for your body. That's the cost. That's how precious you are. Therefore, if your body belongs to God, your body belongs to God, as 1 Corinthians 6 said, his opinion of your body is the only one that matters. That is good news. No more shame. No more caring about what other people think of how you look. God's opinion of your body is the only opinion that matters. And he says, it is very good. And I'm willing to die for this body that you have so that one day it will be a new and transformed body. Secondly, though, no matter how you feel about your body, no matter how broken your body may physically be, you can glorify God with your body right now. Your body can glorify God as it is right now in this place of history. Right? Whatever strength or weakness you have, your body can honor the one who made it and redeemed it. We have a purpose. And so, very practically again then, when we worship, use your body. Use your body in worship. Listen to these words in Nehemiah chapter 8. And Ezra opened the book. He's about to read from the Old Testament inside of all the people. And as he opened it, all the people, guess what? They used their body and they stood. It's one of the reasons we do that here at the reading of God's word. We stand. And then it goes on to say, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered. They used their lips. Amen and amen. And then they lifted up their hands. And then they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. We are embodied creatures. We use our body to worship the Lord. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it speaks of clapping to worship the Lord. It speaks of kneeling and dancing, even dancing, right? And so use your body to honor the Lord. Now, the point isn't just that we just go through these motions, right? Bow, head, kneel, clap, whatever, dance. It's not just that we do those actions, but that those actions actually um, are symbols of how we really feel, right? Our, our body and souls are coming into alignment. We are, we are expressing physically, tangibly, what we internally feel. Right? So to raise our hands is, is an expression of abandonment, of praise. To open our arms like this in prayer to say, God, I need you. To bend our knees in prayer. It's a, it's a declaration of our neediness and our respect, our unworthiness to come before the, our great God and King. 
Use your body in, in worship. Now, I know for many of you, this is a stretch, right? Like you're, you're, this feels very awkward and hard and there's some fear in that. Just baby steps, okay? Right? So it doesn't have to be like this. It could just be a little like worshiping, right? You know, we're not full on dancing necessarily, but a little like shuffle is fine. Little toe tap, little, little quiet clap, right? Whatever you feel comfortable with, as long as it's truly reflecting how you feel internally. But not just when we gather formally for worship on a Sunday, right? You worship the Lord with your body in whatever you do. So from the moment you get up, right, very practically and specifically, ask the Lord, God, this morning, how do you want me to use my eyes? What do you want me to see today? Why, why did you give me this eyes? What do you want to help me notice in this world? God, what purpose will you have for my hands today? What is that you want me to do or work or create? Who, who do I need to hold and love and embrace, right? God, how do you want me to use my words, my lips and my tongue? How, how do you want me to encourage someone or, or challenge someone? God, what do you want me to do with my feet? Where am I supposed to go today? Right? The, Romans says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? Use your bodies. Worship the Lord with your bodies in, in all that you do. In um, the end of Till We Have Faces, C.S. Lewis's book, um, Orwell ends up, so she, she wears the veil her whole life. After her dad made her wear that veil at his wedding, she just decides to wear that veil moving forward. Just so entrenched in her shame. She, she ends up removing that veil. And, and she says this. It's, it's the way we get the title of the book. She says, We cannot meet the gods face to face until we have faces. We cannot meet the gods face to face until we have faces. It, it's when we truly understand that we have faces that we are physical beings, that there's not a part of us that should be hidden, that we recognize both the limitations of our body and also the beauty of our body. And that helps us recognize the God who made us as physical, limited beings, but also beautiful beings. Worship your God. Glorify the God who made your body and redeems your body. Let me pray for us. Father, we are our bodies. This is who we are. This is your, your design. And so we just humbly come before you and want to just say we trust you in this. God, we confess sometimes we wish it was different. Sometimes we, we wish we weren't so limited Sometimes we wish we didn't feel the aches and pains of our body. Sometimes we wish we could just run and, and leap and enjoy life differently. And God, we, we just pray, would you help us then with hope? Look to that day 
when our resurrected bodies will be glorious and perfect as they were always intended to be. But then, Lord, help us also now to glorify you in our weakness, in our brokenness. Lord, would would even the pain we work through to worship you be an act of worship, an act of honoring you? God, we love you. We thank you that you know what it means to be physical. In the person of Jesus, you became human. And God, one day, we will actually see you face to face. We will hug and embrace Jesus. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, make all things new. In his name we pray, amen.